Uh, what's your life about? You know, what do you do? Why are you here? I mean, that's a big question. Um, as my background and that question are kind of connected but different. What do I do? I don't do. I undo. I I I undo people's conditioning from the programs and patterns that we've been hypnotized and conditioned to believing from childhood. Um, I think we're all born free. We're born whole, perfect, and complete in touch with the pure essential nature of our being. But because of certain experiences which we can get into, we get conditioned, we get programmed by parents, by society, by religion, by media, that gets reinforced. And this creates a fixed sense of identity. And most of us, we end up living inside of a fixed prison of identity, thinking that who we are is who we are, but it's not. And the degree to which we're conditioned is the degree to which we're not free. So I help people become aware of their conditioning and free themselves of their conditioning so that they connect to the true essence of their being and live that freely, powerfully, effortlessly in the world so that they can share their gifts with the world in the form of their purpose. And so I uncoach people, I unteach people, I untrain people, I uncondition people to help them peel away the layers of their conditioning. Most of us never learned how to train our brains, which is why most of us needlessly settle, struggle, and worse, suffer. My name is Chris Doris, and I want to make brain training mainstream. This is my series, Tough Talks, Conversations on Mental Toughness. I'm interviewing badasses from all walks of life on what mental toughness means to them and their unique approaches to strengthening their minds. What's up, folks? Welcome back to Tough Talks, Conversations on Mental Toughness. I am your host, Chris Doris. And before we get to our special guest today... Uh, our one housekeeping item, as usual, is if you are not getting your daily dose mental toughness tips in 30 seconds or less delivered every morning to your email inbox at approximately 6 a.m. your local time, wherever you may be on the planet, and if you are not getting my uh, Tuesday blog posts and if you're not getting notifications of these new uh, Tough Talks podcast episodes, then let's fix that situation, shall we? By going to ChristopherDoris.com backslash lists, L-I-S-T-S. ChristopherDoris.com backslash lists. Name, email, click, and all the goodies are yours. All right, so our guest today, this is really interesting. His name is Coot Blackson. And uh, in my research for our, our interview today, I searched through our email history. And it, I was surprised to see, that was like a little Christopher Walker. I was surprised to see that uh, <laughs> he and I had an email exchange 11 years ago. But, but it just like, it went, it just, I don't know, nothing happened. We were introduced by someone, but nothing happened. So I guess that the relationship needed to ripen a skosh. Hmm? Well, this guy's fascinating. He just, he wrote this book. Right? He was written a couple books, but this is the most recent one, The Magic of Surrender. And his team reached out to me recently saying, you know, we're familiar with your work, and um, I think that this would be a really great theme for your podcast. And I wrote back and said, you're damn right. This is, like, perfect. So what a fascinating guy. Let me read you his, uh, 
his bio here and then we'll go find him. So Coop Laxon is a beloved inspirational speaker and transformational teacher. He speaks at countless events he organizes around the world, as well as at outside events, including A-Fest, which I've been to. You've probably heard me talk about it. Uh, the YPO, which is Young Presidents Organization. Also EO, which is Entrepreneurs Organization. He's a member of the Transformational Leadership Council, which is a select group of 100 of the world's foremost authorities in the personal development industry. That's amazing. Winner of the 2019 Unity New Thought Walden Award, Blackson is widely considered a next-generation leader in the field of personal development. His mission is simple, to awaken and inspire people across the planet to access inner freedom, live authentically, and fulfill their true life's purpose. All right, let's go talk some surrender, huh? Coop, where you at, man? There he is, my man, Coop Laxon. What's up, bro? Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. Well, I am I'm very psyched to, to have you. I'm very excited. Man, you have been busy doing some amazing stuff. Some amazing work all around the planet. Um, you were on the Larry King show. Yeah, Larry King, Dr. Drew, Fox and Friends. I mean, That's a lot of fantastic. Man. I've been I've been blessed. La La Larry King was a childhood hero of mine mm. because uh, you know when I lived in London as a kid without a lot of money in what would be considered one of the poorest neighborhoods in London, Southeast London at the time, Peckham, very dangerous place. Uh, my room, my bedroom was probably the size of, you know, someone's toilet. And my bed barely fit in there. And I would sit in the in my in my bedroom uh, with a small TV. And one of the ways I would escape my reality was I'd watch the Larry King show because he would bring on people from all walks of life. I mean, he'd bring on everyone from presidents and prime ministers and entrepreneurs and, you know, athletes. And it, it, it transported me to be able to sort of vision a life of possibility beyond what I was currently living. And so, you know, for a kid from Southeast London without a university education, to have the ability to sit face to face with Larry King and you could say go toe to toe with Larry. I thought Larry King was going to go easy on this young kid. And uh, he just for like, I don't know, 15 minutes, he just kind of uh, like a bulldog attacked me. He had no mercy. And I'll never forget uh, in, in, in the interview, I'm like, ah, oh, he's going to be soft with me and, you know, proud of me that I'm here. He just attacked and, he didn't even let me finish my sentences. I, after about the first two minutes, I'm like, in my mind, I was thinking, "Yo, Larry, what, what are you? What like, what are you doing?" They were down. Then I saw that this guy is a pro. He's like, the, the, the silent communication was, "Hey, kid, you want to be in the big leagues? Let's roll." And he just started throwing balls at me. And after I understood that he was not going to soften anything to make me feel comfortable, but he was like challenging me to rise up to the next level in this interview I just got with the program and I could see his brain churning he would he would ask a question before I was even done he would be formulating an answer then I could it was like in slow motion I could see him formulating the questions coming out of his mouth by the time I was done he would ask the next question I was ready and about two minutes into it we got into a flow so that was a real 
That's amazing. Uh, that was that was a beautiful moment for me to be with. That's me. incredible. Thanks for telling me that. Uh, did you ever have the opportunity to tell him that he was a childhood yeah, hero yeah. and yeah. all that you just said? So he got to yeah, know. but he but he didn't know before the interview. He didn't know. Um, no, but he he was so I think impressed was he nice? with. Oh, he was so impressed with the interview that he's like, "Look, I never do this," but he started promoting my book. Uh, you know, on the screen, people thought, "How much did you pay him to do this?" It was not an infomercial. I swear, it was yeah, literally yeah. a real interview. But I think he was so touched by the interview that he just started saying, "Go get this book," and at the end of the interview, it was like, "That was amazing." And then I got to tell him, and it was it was fun. It was really fun, you know. Hmm. That's really cool. You know, in doing my research for our interview here today, I discovered I went back and looked through our email history. Mm. We actually had an email exchange in 2012. Wow. Yeah, that's what I said. <laughs> we were in, introduced by someone named Coach Sharice. Wow, I don't remember. I don't recall. Yeah, so um, I thought that was fascinating. And then we never spoke until today. Uh, we, I mean, we emailed, I emailed with your team for the last few weeks. And they told me about your your book, which I'm excited to talk about. But before we get into this, because this this you know the the practice of surrender, I'm going to call it a discipline, is so central to my work that as soon as I read and discovered that you just written a whole book on it, I thought, oh my god, we got to get we got to get together. But before we do, can we give a little bit of your background? Can you yeah. give a little bit of your background? Like, you know, what's an answer to the question? Hey, Coop, uh, what's your life about? You know, what do you do? Why are you here? I mean, that's a big question. Um, as my background and that question are kind of connected but different. What do I do? I don't do. I undo. I, I, I undo people's conditioning from the programs and patterns that we've been hypnotized and conditioned to believing from childhood. Um, I think we're all born free. We're born whole, perfect, and complete in touch with the pure essential nature of our being. But because of certain experiences which we can get into, we get conditioned, we get programmed by parents, by society, by religion, by media that gets reinforced. And this creates a fixed sense of identity. And most of us, we end up living inside of a fixed prison of identity, thinking that who we are is who we are, but it's not. And the degree to which we're conditioned is the degree to which we're not free. So I help people become aware of their conditioning and free themselves of their conditioning so that they connect to the true essence of their being and live that freely, powerfully, effortlessly in the world so that they can share their gifts with the world in the form of their purpose. And so I uncoach people, I unteach people, I untrain people, I uncondition people to help them peel away the layers of their conditioning. And so I started out doing that uh, about 20 years ago when I started out working one-on-one, -on -one, maybe 21 years ago when I was literally a, a baby and um, this is before coaching was popular. This is before there was a life coaching thing. You know, there wasn't much going on. And I started out of my own journey, which I'll get into. And then one, one I had no idea what I was doing, but, but one person came, another person came, and then I evolved my own technique, my own methodology, my own way of working with people. And then it just, people started coming from around the world to work with me in this sort of uncoaching uh, methodology and 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 it went into small groups and large groups and bigger groups and five six seven eight hundred people in events and seminars and two books and it just evolved from there and so for me my life is is, is essentially about love and my life is essentially about helping people remember that they are love and helping people 
connect to their true selves and who they really are. And it's about freedom, you know, the freedom to be who you truly are rather than who you've been conditioned to be. And so for me, as a young boy, I I was a very empathetic kid. And this is kind of maybe where the journey began. Like I was born in Ghana, West Africa. My father's from Ghana. My mother's Japanese. I grew up in London. I live in the US. I live partly in Mexico. So I'm from everywhere and nowhere, you know. Uh, I always say that the soul has no nationality, no color, no passport. It's just pure beingness. And so as a young boy, I always felt, you know, I'm talking about age three, age four, age five. I always felt people's, I felt people's pain very deeply. I was a very empathetic kid and I didn't know what to do with that. I just, I would feel you. And I, and I just didn't know, I wanted to alleviate suffering in some way. And my foot, some people would say I had a bit of an unusual childhood, but I think my childhood set the foundation for what I'm doing now. Although I thought that my childhood was normal. I thought it was like everyone's childhood. I thought everybody had my childhood only to realize it was not quite the case. Like my first memories as a young boy literally was seeing a crippled woman crawling on the floor. She picks up the sand the gravel that this man walks on, wipes it on her face and stands up. Week after week, I grew up seeing blind people see, deaf people hear, people stand up out of wheelchairs. The same man whose sand she picked up would look at a woman in a wheelchair who hadn't walked in 10 years and say, hey, why, why are you in this wheelchair? Stand up. You're not sick. And he would touch them and they would stand. And somebody would come in with crutches and he would say, throw your crutches away. He would touch them and they would walk. And so, you know, this was normal for me. I grew up seeing this every weekend, every day, practically. And and so I didn't think anything of it. So I think in that sense, it was a blessing because I grew up with a sense of possibility and no limits. This man was my father. My father built uh, 300 churches in Ghana, West Africa. He had hundreds of thousands of followers at his height. I call him a, a sort of a African Siddha Yogi, even though he wouldn't call himself that, you know, in the vein of people like Muktananda and Sai Baba. But my father also had a huge church in London. And he was a very, even though he had these churches, he was a very mystical, spiritual character in that he went to India in the 60s and had an enlightenment experience, yet kept his churches and helped people realize the sort of the Christ consciousness inside of everyone. And, and it was a beautiful, you know, uh, I think foundation for me, even though my father and I weren't that close. And so my speaking career began at age eight when my father just threw me in the audience and said, speak in front of 5,000 people. Wow. And, and, and I had no idea what, what I was saying. <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing other than I kind of disappeared and words came through me. Mm -hmm. uh, age 14, another pivotal moment was when I was ordained as a minister and my father, you know, the type of character he was, didn't discuss it with anyone, just announced to the congregation, my son is taking over my ministry. He's my successor. And what was interesting was I always wanted to help people, but I knew that this was not my path. My heart sank because I, my entire life was being scripted for me. My entire life was being set out for me. My entire life, everyone was happy but me. But I think like many of us, I was too afraid to speak my truth. My fear was if I dared to speak my truth, that, hey, this is not what I want. If I dared to be who I am, 
my fear was that you won't love me. My father wouldn't love me. I would lose his love. I'd be abandoned. I'd be outcast. I'd be alone. I'd lose the community. And I allowed fear to hijack my freedom. And, and, and I didn't speak my truth, didn't speak my voice. I got ordained. I tried to rationalize and fit myself into who I thought I needed to be in order to get love and validation. And for four years, went through a deep inner conflict and inner turmoil. But after I turned 18, and I think this was maybe a first moment of surrender in my life, I felt a profound calling to come to America. Um, because for me, America was a, the land of the free, man, the, the American dream. But also, for me, America was like a spiritual mecca. People might, might say, what the hell do you mean America is a spiritual mecca? All, as a kid, I was sneaking to my father's um, office on his bookshelf. I'd read all of his self-help books as a kid, age eight, age nine. I started reading Shakti Gawain and Ernest Holmes and Joseph Murphy and Krishnamurti and Osho and Wayne Dye and Louise Hay. For me, this was my crazy obsession as a 10, 11, 12-year-old kid. I started reading Tony Robbins, Deepak Chopra at age 11. And all of the authors lived in freaking California. You know, all of the authors, self they lived in, you know, yeah. LA, San Diego, uh, La Jolla, Carlsbad, San Francisco, some of them. And so for me, this was like the Mecca. And I saw a whole new opportunity and possibility and way of impacting people that wasn't through church or religion or an organization. Nothing wrong with that. It just wasn't my 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 purpose in this lifetime and so i knew what i had to do i literally felt man that my soul was pulling me uncontrollably undeniably in another direction mm. and you know when your soul calls you it's not always convenient and when your soul calls you it doesn't always make sense to your mind because the inspiration of the soul is not arising from the conditioned ego logic that is based on conditioning past experiences or linear thinking. So it often doesn't make sense to the mind. And so when your soul calls you, it's often not comfortable and you have no idea where you're going. But I really believe that when you listen to your soul, and this is what I found, which we'll talk about you know, throughout my whole life, when you listen to your soul without compromise, you will always, always, always be guided in the right place with the right people doing the right thing Maybe not what you most expected or thought, but it will end up being what you most need. And so I knew what I had to do. And that was leave. I basically renounced everything, left everything behind. Took me four years of grieving and heartbreak to, to make peace with the fact I may never have a relationship with my father. You know, for a boy, this guy was iconic for me. And I cried, man, for four years. And when I turned 18, I looked into my future. And I saw that, I could be successful. I projected into my future. I could be successful following the expected path, taking over my father's church, becoming the next guy, using this as a platform to build. But if I didn't have my soul, if I didn't have my integrity, if I didn't have my truth, if I didn't have my own, if I couldn't look myself in the mirror, what, what kind of success is that? That you cannot be truly fulfilled and happy living someone else's life or being someone that you're not. And if I lied, to myself, now, I would have to live this life for the rest of my life. Mm. And that felt so painful that I felt like I didn't have a choice. And, and so long story short, I uh, had the conversation with my father. We didn't speak for two years, two and a half years. 
it was pretty heartbreaking. And longer story short, uh, I ended up winning a green card in the green card lottery. And that's what enabled me to come to the U.S. as an 18-year-old kid, man, to Los Angeles, California, to pursue my dream with two suitcases, $800 in my pocket, knew no one in the country. When I told my father, I felt like I was just suspended in midair in the, in, in the abyss. And I just said this prayer and I said, God, you've given me this vision. You've given me this dream, but I have no freaking idea where I'm going now. And that's why I always tell people, you don't have to know where you're going to get to exactly where you need to be. There is an intelligence, a consciousness that knows exactly what to do. If you just follow it, you know, it's to me, this is the intelligence of life itself. And that's when someone had in me a magazine called The Economist and I was just following the clues. And that's when I won the green card a few months later and showed up in the U.S. went and found many of the teachers, Chopra, and, you know, knocked on their doors, Jack Canfield, and harassed them and learned from them. And after a couple of years of being in the U.S., I wanted more. I was tired as a young kid. I was tired of reading the books. I was tired of reading someone else's knowledge and information. I was tired of hearing about how this person got enlightened and this person felt happy and free and this Gandhi felt peace. I'm like, it's great for that person. It's great for Deepak. It's great for Gandhi. But I want to know truth. I want to know God. I want to know reality. And I said this prayer again. And I said, okay, universe, God, like, I want to know truth. Show me what to do. And I had some disappointment in my in my life at that time, which we, that's a whole other story. But that drove me to question. And I heard this voice that said, pack up everything. Broke up with my girlfriend, put everything in storage, sold off everything. And I said, I'm not coming back to the U.S. until I find certain answers. And I ended up months of traveling. I walked the Camino in northern Spain for 28 days. I went to Thailand, shaved my head, studied with monks. I went to Israel, studied with rabbis, ended up in India. And it was my few months in India that really cracked me open to another level of just understanding my true nature and why I'm here on this planet. And, and it gave me a direct experience of just what I've always been, you know. And, and, and that's what inspired me to come back to the U.S. with a whole new vision. And that's when, as a young kid, I started working with people, you know, one-on-one. -on -one, and uh, it just evolved from there. So that that's a bit of the, the background. so boring. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't come up with that. At least you could make up some interesting stuff. That's ridiculously amazing. Uh, Where, thank you for all, man. I don't yeah. know if you noticed, but you had me in rapture right there, man. That, that's that's fascinating. What a, what a, what a phenomenal history. What a remarkably fascinating history and you tell it beautifully mm. where were you in india wow the first time i've been to india at this point maybe 40 times the first, uh, 40 the, four zero. Four zero. yeah uh, I, I would say at least 38 maybe a couple of okay. but <laughs> give or take right okay. but but the first time i went to where did i go I went straight to Delhi, then I went straight to Varanasi, then I went straight to Bodh Gaya, where the Buddha got enlightened to spend time with uh, an 80-year-old mentor, became a mentor of mine, who was like a former disciple of Gandhi. Then I went to Kajuraho, I went to Bombay. I sat with, you know, enlightened masters in the jungles of outside of Bombay. I went up to Kerala, sat with enlightened, an enlightened master there for like literally two weeks, sitting at his feet, 
asking him every question on the planet. Um, in South India, went all through South India, went to Kanyakumari in the furthest point in India, went to different temples, Tirupati and so many different temples all over India, just looking for answers, man. I wanted to know. Like I was determined to not come back to America until I found reality, until I found truth. Uh, so how long, have you heard of the Oneness University by any chance? Outside? I've heard of it. Yeah, 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 I've heard of it. Uh, so how long were you in India that first time? I think the first time must have been about three to four months wandering on buses, on trains, on on automobiles, on, you know, I mean, I, I had I, I had the the shit beat out of me by the universe, you know. And India has a way of finding all of your weakest spots mm. and finding those places that you're holding on to for a sense of self-identification and control and just unraveling those. And India's just is a unique she's she's a unique character. Mm. Yeah. So I love, I saw on your website and you just said it a few minutes ago. When I asked you what you do, you said, I don't do, I undo. And on your website, on the coaching page, it says, since you're, you just said this verbatim, since you are already whole, perfect and complete, I don't coach you. I uncoach you. Yes. I unteach, I untrain, I uncondition you. And I studied briefly at, at that place called the Oneness University in India. And, and you know, everything that I took away could be summarized by the practice of freeing ourselves from the conditioning of our past so that we can experience reality as it is, as opposed to through the thick lenses of our conditioning. Sure. Yep. You mentioned um, in the beginning when you were talking about that, you know, talking about all the conditioning of our past. And in one of your videos, a clip of you doing a keynote, you know, have a piece of paper and you're crumpling it up, you know, so you, yeah, you, yeah. you get to know, and, and it's like, a, it's like you're this piece of paper, but well, I don't want to ruin this one because these are all my notes for you. Uh, you know, it's like we, we, you use it as a metaphor, you know, it gets crumpled up and then it's small and it's yes. not who we are anymore. Can you give us some yes. great examples of what you mean? Let me by the, by the let me set yeah let, let me set the context first just so that you know we're, we're all kind of synchronized together you know like look we're, to me we're all born whole perfect and complete mm. if you look at a child when we're born we're like in touch with the infinite we are we've just down that we've just come through a portal and we are we're pure you know and i think that's why whenever we look at a child no matter who we are, you could be the most hardened criminal. If you look at a child, you freaking melt because you, we are reminded of what we were. Mm. We were all that once, pure, essential, being open, vulnerable, surrendered, alive, you know, pure consciousness. And so what the hell happened to us, man? Like what that like life happened. And so here we were, whole, perfect, complete, pure, alive, essential essence. We incarnate into this human experience. We meet our parents, and God bless them. You know, our parents, they're interesting characters. You know, mom and dad, they're interesting. And, and they're doing the best that they know how to do based on their conditioning and their grandparents and their parents and their parents. And, you know, so now here we are, these pure beings. We incarnate into this human experience. We're born into a preset pattern of conditioning. 
generational patterns, secrets, conditioning, generational belief systems and ideologies. And now we're born into that structure as an energetic. And maybe maybe dad is crazy. Maybe mom is an alcoholic. Maybe, maybe they're fighting all the time. Maybe dad wasn't even around. Maybe mom's not around. Maybe there's cheating, dysfunction, pain, trauma, hurt, physical, mental, sexual abuse. Maybe they're great people. Because some might say, no, I had great parents. I loved them. But they just didn't know how to meet our emotional needs. They didn't have the emotional intelligence, even though they were lovely and amazing, or they just were working all the time. And so, and that was painful too. So two things happening where the conditioning process begins. The first thing is often unconsciously out of survival and protection, we learn to shut down our feelings because it's so intense and heightened out here to shut down, disconnect, not feel. And so we start to suppress, 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 suppress. Layers of pain, hurt, shame, guilt, helplessness, disappointment, rejection, suppress, suppress. And before you know it, layers and 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 layers of unfelt, unprocessed, unacknowledged feeling that we've learned to numb and disconnect from buildup that begin to layer up and sort of hide and cover our true essence, our true light. All of the unfelt, unprocessed feelings from decades cover up our true essence. And so now we, we don't we don't even see, we're not even in touch with it because we've numbed so much. And so we also develop all sorts of uh, defense mechanisms in order to protect us from the pain of feeling. Oh, it's too painful to feel that my needs aren't being met. It's too painful to feel that dad is not in my life and I need my dad. It's too painful to feel that no one is around. It's too painful to be beaten every day. So let me just shut down, go numb. Let me just overanalyze, go into my head, disconnect from my body. Let me just shut my feelings down, feel nothing, just go to zero and just not feel. And so we erect all sorts of walls around our heart and our capacity to feel as a form of survival and protection. This becomes how we learn how to control life. This is where the pattern of control begins, you know, and, and, and so that's one, one strategy. The other way is we learn all sorts of ways to get love and validation and approval. Like who? Who do I need to be in order for dad to love me? Who do I need to be in order for mom to love me? Who do I need to be? Oh, when I get all A's, I get more love. When I'm, when I'm nice... I get more when I when I when I'm loud, I don't get as much love. You know, boys should don't cry. Girls should be seen and not heard. And so we start, I, I learned to become, you know, being a preacher's healer's minister son, to be the nice boy, to be the perfect son, to be the responsible one, right? To to be very square and and take care of everyone, right? Couldn't just be, couldn't just be in touch with my human feelings because I was representing my father and the holy and the spiritual. And so we learn how to betray, often unconsciously, we learn to betray and disconnect from parts of ourselves in order to be accepted, in order to be validated, in order to be loved. And we develop a role, a role, a mask, a persona, becoming who we think we need to be to get love, validation, approval. And we learn how to go into the, into the world this way and often it works for us when we're five and when we're 10 and when we're 15 and when we're 18. But often many of the roles, masks and personas that we learn to develop in, in order to become to get love, validation, approval end up limiting us as we get older. They end up getting in the way of the full expression and the full range of our capacity to be who we are because we've learned to suppress 
80% of ourselves, to develop this 20% of ourselves, to show this face to the world to get the love validation approval. So now most of us, we end up becoming the version of ourselves that we think we need to be. We contort ourselves into a certain shape to become this person. We hold so tightly to this way of being, and we end up thinking that who we've become is who we are, not realizing that who we who we've become is not who we really are. It's just what we've been conditioned to be. But we think it's who we are. Now we, we, we're holding, we're so identified with the version of ourselves, the person of ourselves that we've become, that we're now living inside of a prison of identity, a prison of, shall we say, uh, conditioning. The, the, the identified self or version that we've become, this is ego. The degree to which we are conditioned is the degree to which we're not free. We often say we have free will. No, we don't. The degree to which we're conditioned, we're just playing out, living out the, the pre-programmed conditioning of our past and our traumas, not realizing that, thinking that we're choosing, but we're not. We're being chosen from. We're being chosen by, by our past. And so ego is the, set, the degree to which we identify with this version of ourselves. Ego is what we mistakenly believe ourselves to be based on past experiences, everything I've expressed, conditioning, history, memories, you know, religion, parents, society, that we, we identify as ego is identification. And so ego is not what we are. It's just conditioned patterns. Ego is not even a thing. Ego is a process. It's a process of identification. And the degree to which we believe ourselves to be this persona, and most of us, we will say, no, no, this is just who I am. I'm just this way. This is just who I am. This is just me. Well, we have to question, mm. is who I am who I really am? Or is it just who I've been conditioned to be? Mm -hmm. And so the ego, which we mistakenly believe ourselves to be, gets reinforced by life, society, media, programming, social media, life. The job of the ego is to reinforce your, your your existence. The job of the ego is to reinforce your existence, your identity. And the job of the ego is to protect you from getting hurt like you were hurt back then. So the, the ego is well-intended. It's well-intended. It means well. It has a positive intention. It's just limiting. Mm. And so I think, you see, the ego doesn't want to change. The ego wants everyone else to change, and it doesn't want to change. This is why change, transformation, healing, breakthroughs, surrender, which we can get into, yes. can be and feel so difficult, feels, which is why many times we resist change. We resist reinventing ourselves. We resist. The ego doesn't want to question because questioning means change. And so the ego wants everything and everyone else to change, but it doesn't want to change because not changing and holding on to what we are is a form of self-preservation. This is why we resist change and we resist surrender. So for the ego, surrender yep. feels like feels like a death. And that's why we resist. Death. That's why a death, death. A death of what we believe ourselves to be. Not what we are, just what we've been mistakenly conditioned to believe ourselves to be. And the degree to which we start realizing, oh... I'm not the ego. 
I'm not my beliefs. I'm not my ideas. I'm not my thoughts. I'm not these the, the, these these voices in my head. I'm not these the, these values that I hold on to. Ah, oh, then if I'm not that, who am I? So that's we have to start questioning. Well, who the hell am I? If I'm not this, 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 and everything I've been conditioned to, and everything I'm holding on to myself as, who am I? And what am I? And who would I be? And what would I be if I didn't believe these the, the, these ideas? Who would I be? And what would I be? And what is the real essence of, of, of who I am? And so when we can start realizing, it's just one thing I'll say, when we can start realizing that we are not these conditioned patterns, yeah, these conditioned patterns are just reactions to certain things that have happened and they're conditioned reactions to certain things that have happened to protect us. When we notice that, we realize that we can then, the goal is not to force yourself into change or to beat yourself up into change. When you can understand that the ego, which is not even real, but is a set pattern of conditioning, it is it, trying to protect you. It means, well, then you can start to change and shift your relationship to ego. You don't have to destroy it. You don't have to kill it. You don't have to annihilate it. In fact, ego is not even real. It's a condition. It's a process. What's the verb? Versus it's not thing. annihilation, killing. What's the verb? Yeah, the, you, 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 we have to learn how to shift our relationship with ego. When we can shift our relationship with ego. See, the ego wants a fight. Because the more you fight ego, the more you reinforce its existence. But the more you can shift your relationship with ego, ego is not the enemy. This is a mistake. Ego is not the enemy. Ego is a, is a process, like, like a bicycle is a thing. Pedaling is a process. And so when you realize that pedaling is not an actual thing, it's a process, we have to start shifting how we relate to ego. And when we can meet ego with compassion, mm -hmm. with loving, with compassion, and with loving, then there's no fight. Then there's no resistance. Okay. We are no longer resisting ego. Then okay. ego can relax. Then ego can soften. Then ego can just kind of wither away. You can't get rid of ego with ego. The more you get rid of ego with ego, the more you condition ego into being. And so the more you can just develop a relationship with it, Work. The more it loses its grip and can relax and soften, and the more spaciousness there is. Anyway, I'll stop there. But I can see. Reminding me of uh, Chinese principle Wu Wei. Okay. Are you familiar with that? Yes, least effort. Yes, right, right. Not forcing shit. Working with, like Tai Chi Chuan. Yes. So, all right. So let's segue now. Not segue. <clears throat> yeah, segue. Whatever. Just continue, and let's get into some practice. Like, give. Let's give the tribe some. Some real, uh, I think we've done, you have done a phenomenal job of creating the context here. So now of all the things you could have chosen to write a 264 page, <laughs> why is it surrender? Because I'm I'm assuming that the this is like, okay, so then the question after all of that is like, okay, so how do I change my relationship with ego? How do I, what's the how here, man? Give me something to do. Like, how do I? Yeah, but for, but but we free ourselves from the condition. Yes, first, yes, I will answer that question. But first, I think we have to also shift our relationship with the question because when you can realize that that ego isn't real and understand that, it can change your relationship to it. 
And the more you can shift your relationship to it, the 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 energy shifts. The more you can actually just love yourself through and meet yourself with compassion and and surrender begins to happen. Surrender begins to happen in the process of holding yourself and holding your resistance and holding your ego with love and compassion. That's, you could say, the bigger context of the how. Now, what I will say is this. One of the ways we keep ourselves stuck, one of the ways we stay stuck in ego, one of the ways we stay stuck in resistance, because first we're often unconscious. Then when we're unconscious, we move into denial. And these are all ego defense strategies from surrender. Then we move from unconscious to denial. Then we move into resistance. Then we move into negotiation. But the, 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 the resistance phase in this process and the trajectory, one of the things that keeps us stuck from transforming, from changing, from surrendering, are all the ways that we lie to ourselves. See, ego doesn't want to change. Ego wants to stay the same. That's how we keep ourselves locked into a way of being in a comfort zone. So one of the things that keeps us stuck are all the ways we lie to ourselves. So if people are, well, where do I start? What can I do? I'm just going to give people something very simple and very practical. Yeah. Look at all of the places in your life that you are lying to yourself. Start there. Where am I lying? What am I? We stay in relationships that we know are not aligned. We're no longer in love. We work jobs that we hate or that we betray ourselves. We betray ourselves and say yes when we mean no in order to get love and validation and approval. And so to me, there is no transformation. There is no surrender. There is no letting go. There is no breakthrough without truth. We have to start with the truth. The truth will set you free. And so I'd invite everyone to sit with number one. Question number one, what lies am I telling myself? And get real and raw and relentless and sincere with yourself. What lies am I telling myself? What am I pretending to not know? The ego as a protection mechanism will sometimes play a game of confusion. I don't know. I'm not sure. To not know. What am I pretending to not know? Because the ego will say, and again, it's survival. It creates a smoke screen of confusion. I don't know. I don't know, Chris. Well, I don't know if this relationship is right for me. Or I, I don't know what my purpose is. We do know what our purpose is. But we're deeply afraid. Ego is afraid that if I really put myself out there and follow my purpose and take the risk, if I fail, then what? So it's easier to just be confused. I don't really know what my purpose is. Not have to take action. Not have to take a risk. I can always have a future fantasy and possibility in my mind rather than take the risk and face a possible reality. So confusion is a protection mechanism. Deep down, we know, okay, check this. How many people in the past, you've been in a relationship, you were confused. I'm not sure. Should I stay? Should I go? I don't know. I don't. The moment, this went on for years. The moment you broke up with that person, you told your friend, I knew that wasn't going to work. I knew it wasn't. We, we, we knew deep down there's a part of us that knows everything because at the deepest level, we're really honest. We are everything. We're often just not in touch with that. And so what lies am I telling myself? What am I pretending to not know? And the third thing, look, there is, you have to want the truth more than you want what you have. You have to want the truth 
more than you want what you think you have. To me, truth is real spirituality. Truth is real prayer. Truth is real yoga. If we started telling ourselves the raw, real truth about who we are and what we feel, our lives would begin to transform. And many of the things we go to temple to pray about, to ask God's help for, would vanish because we're actually telling ourselves the truth. The other thing I would just say for, to people that might help is take the pressure off of yourself of having to take any action. What? Because sometimes the fear of the consequence, mm. if I tell the truth, I, what will that mean to my life? What will that mean to my job? What will that mean to my survival? What will that mean to my relationship? Often creates a defense, a resistance. Ego's job is to keep you safe. So ego kicks in and says, no, 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 I don't know. I'm confused. Resist, resist. The resistance is a beautiful intention. That's why I'm saying don't resist the resistance. Meet the resistance with love. Because when you can meet the resistance with love, like sometimes surrender is to just acknowledge that you're not surrendered right now and not trying, trying to surrender, but to just say, yeah, I'm not surrendered right now and it's okay. And you hold and you just meet your resistance with like, I'm resisting right now. I'm freaking, I'm freaking resisting. That is a deeper surrender than trying to push yourself into surrender when you're not surrendered. I'm not surrendered right now, Chris. And I surrender to that with total awareness. I'm not surrendered. And let me because because we're afraid, because surrender can feel like a death. Surrender feels like, oh shit, if I surrender. I might feel like I felt like when I was five. I don't want to feel that. And that's so that's, delicate. So that's, that's, a, so that, that's a clarification that I absolutely want you to spell out here in as simple a way as possible. Because I was listening last Sunday to um, a Sangha. Right? There's a group of people. That's a Sanskrit word for community. And it's what they're calling this meeting. It's a group of people. I'm going to be interviewing the person who hosts it <clears throat> for the podcast. He used to be the president of the Philadelphia 76ers basketball team, and he's really gone seriously like deep, and it's amazing. I can't wait to hang with him. But one of the people in the Sangha was telling us, it was a former Army Ranger, telling a story when he was in Afghanistan. So special forces, hardcore shit. <clears throat> and he got in a bad spot. Now, it, the Army Rangers have a saying, which I did not memorize, but it's something like, surrender doesn't exist in our world. Okay. There is no surrender in our world. There is no surrender for an army ranger. And they say it over and over. There is no surrender. Yeah. And the guy's telling this story. And he's like, he's, and he got in a bad place. He was away from his people and he's oh. getting ambushed, shot at, you know, with AKs. And he's in a tiny little like irrigation ditch trying to avoid all the bullets. And he said, in that moment, his life changed. Like he was ready to die. He didn't want to. And he started describing an experience that he's referring to as surrender, but not white flag. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, so go ahead. Like, yeah. So, 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 so I would just surrender, look, right? Most people they, they, Yeah. Let's set a context again. There's this idea about, I, I believe surrender is the most powerful thing that we can do. Okay. That's a good start. I like that. Surrender is the only thing that's going on. If mm. you think there's anything else going on, you're mistaken. Surrender is the process of life. The truth is, it's not about will I surrender? Do I want it? Every one of us is participating in the process of life. You are in the process of surrender. You are born, you begin aging. At some point, 
no matter how well you take, how much yoga you do, how much stem cells you do, your body's going to change. Your hair's going to turn white. Hair's going to fall out. Things will just, you know, you can take care of it, but it's going to change. This is the process of surrender. And if you don't believe it, on your deathbed, you will have to surrender. So it's not about if, it's about when. Life is a process of surrender. So it becomes, how do you want to participate in the process of life that is surrender? Because the truth is, even if you're Bill Gates, Elon Musk, how many things go exactly how you want them to in life? It doesn't. It doesn't. It's just life. Rockets blow up. Traffic happens. People die. We're not in control of so many things. So in our culture today, there is this misconception that surrender is weak, mm -hmm. that surrender is passive, mm -hmm. that surrender is giving up, that surrender is white flag. That surrender is being a doormat, being a victim, being taken advantage of means you're going to be left behind. That if you surrender, you won't manifest your goals, your dreams, your desires. That's not very exciting. If you surrender, you're going to get less in life. I'm just saying, no, if you surrender, you might get more. Maybe not what you planned, maybe not what you expected, but more. If you look, like surrender is the real secret to the next level of your life. It's the real secret to manifestation, if you look at the great ones, so people think, ah, surrender's weak. Well, Jesus, was he weak? Buddha, was he weak? M Martin Luther King, Mandela, Mother Teresa, Oprah, dare I say it, and we can get into this, Elon Musk, uh, Muhammad Ali, Bruce Lee. At some point, they all, in their own way, they all had to surrender themselves to a purpose that was bigger than themselves. They all had to surrender themselves to a mission. They all had to surrender themselves to the universe, to the divine, to, to, to their soul's deepest impulse in that letting go and surrender. And I'm sure many of them, their lives didn't go in the direction that they thought. That was a surrender, right? Mm -hmm. I'm sure Mandela didn't expect or want to go or plan in his journal to spend 27 years in prison. But should he have not? That's where life took him and he surrendered to it. At some point, they all surrendered themselves to something more. In that surrender, they transcended their human limitations. They tapped into another dimension of life. And that's when life began to manifest through them. That's when life began to use them. That's when life began to come through them and a miracle through them. That's where the magic happens. People think surrenders. We look at Elon Musk. Some people love him. Some people hate him. I happen to like Elon Musk as an entrepreneur. I like him too. Here's the thing. Wait, surrender. Wait. People might think, what the hell? Surrender is Elon Musk. $200 million PayPal money. He invests. How many of us would just ride off into the sunset, disappear? Never That's what I love about him. Here's a guy who takes everything. Yeah. He feels a calling. Tesla, Solar City, right? What, what was the other one? SpaceX. SpaceX. Every freaking dime. Following his vision. That's surrender. Mm. I probably wouldn't do that. And, and that was such a high level of surrender that, that that's how it can be. It, surrender is to follow the deepest impulse of what you feel. So just to clarify, yeah. surrender is a letting go of control. Ah, okay. All right. That's All right. That's or I should say, here, let me clarify. I should say the control that we think we have which is also actually an illusion because yeah. control is a master addiction. Surrendering the need to control. The, the need to control. The belief that I need to control shit. Or I would say the illusion of control. Like, look at 2020. Uh -huh. COVID hit. 
pandemic, whatever we want to call it, whatever we believe about it, none of us planned this. None of us were really in control. None, I mean, yes, we could see how we want to respond to it and pivot, but it, we had our plans and life happened. I saw and a so funny meeting the other day. It said, relax, nothing is under control. Not, not really, right? And, and, and so it, it, it's, it's surrendering the need to control, the illusion of control. It, it's when we stop forcing, mm. forcing life to fit our and manipulating life to be what we think it should be and a relationship to be what we think it should be is when we let go of who we think we should be yeah which is often based on our conditioning right and our childhood programming and the the way we think life should be so that we can be open surrender is taking the limitations off of life so that we can be open and be available and we can be ready to allow life to show us. Coot, did so you ever lot, lot... Hear, do you know who um, Herbie Hancock is? Musician. Yeah, and Miles Davis. So do, do you know the story that Herbie Hancock tells about when uh-huh. he was fighting? You're going to love this. All right. So um, for those of you listening or watching that don't know, Herbie mm-hmm. Hancock is a badass uh, keyboardist. And Miles Davis is one of the best trumpeters in history. Mm-hmm. Jazz. Badasses. Both of them. So Miles is playing at an event, an outdoor event in Stuttgart, Germany, several years ago. And he hears that Herbie Hancock is in Germany. So he contacts him and says, yo, man, let's jam. Come play with me. And Herbie Hancock's like, oh, my God. You know, Miles calls you up, you've arrived. So he hustles up and he gets over there and they're playing. And you can Google this. It's on YouTube. You can just actually just search YouTube, Herbie Hancock, Miles Davis, and it's a five and a half minute clip of beauty. And it's Herbie telling this story. And he goes on to say that <clears throat> Herbie was playing and he played the wrong chord. Like he said, it was like so wrong. It was so wrong that it hurt. And he's like, oh, shit. And Miles pauses for like a second. And then Miles is like, oh, all right then. Is that where, okay, I didn't see that coming. Let's go with that. And he starts playing with it, like this way off tune, and gets into it, and creates. And, and then Herbie's playing with it, and and he, so Herbie describes this as a moment of where Miles, because of his mastery and his his need to not control, his ability because of his mastery to surrender into yes. what is he could create from. That's so he magic. turned a mis- he turned a mistake into freaking magic. Look, for, the, for those that might be surrender, surrender. Look, look, look. I I, I want to make a point. You don't, people might think, ah, surrender's for like the yogis in India, the spiritual people. No, no, no. Every single human being we've had, maybe, almost, maybe almost all of us, a moment of surrender. If everyone, I'm going to challenge everyone in this conversation now. If everyone, if you think about your most blissful, not even the most blissful, but a blissful sexual experience, you're with your lover, your partner, your husband, your wife, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, just think about that most blissful sexual encounter, your lovemaking, kissing, exchanging, and it was, it was, you just loved it, right? It was blissful, it was ecstatic, it was just full of joy and ecstasy. What made it ecstatic? Was it because you came to the sexual experience with your wife, with your husband, with your lover? And go, yes, honey, okay, I have, I have a 15-page document for the next three hours, this is exactly how it's going to go down. Okay, honey. Okay. In about 
12 seconds, you're going to move to the bed exactly at 90 degrees on the bed. Then a minute later, then you're going to lie down, take your clothes off. Then I'm going to take your socks off at 40 seconds into it. Then at three minutes into it, you're going to kiss me on the cheek. And then we're going to move it. Then we're going to move that. Oh, don't move this way. And then two hours later, we're going to... Was that the experience? No. Why was that moment blissful? Because we were not in control because we we didn't know what was going to happen we were responding to the moment we let go we surrendered that's what made it blissful mm-hmm. do we know exactly what's going to happen every single sexual encounter no if we knew exactly how every single sexual encounter was going to go it would be miserable what makes that moment so ecstatic is we've surrendered to the flow of our partner to the response, to allowing ourselves to meet the response in the moment. And so if we make love that way and it is blissful, which is part of why we enjoy it, then what if we lived that way? Mm. What if we lived our life Mm. that way? How much more ecstatic and magical and orgasmic could it be? And so you see the old paradigm, the old paradigm of living is all about bit of noise out there <laughs> the the old the old paradigm yeah. of living is all about know what you want make it happen force it i call it the ego-based model of creation now you can create that way i'm not going to deny you can set your mind and intention write your goals down but sometimes here's the thing it's limiting because whatever you create from the level of the mind the level of logic the level of the persona the level of the ego is still based on conditioning which is based on your past it is limited so you are operating in the realm of limitation mm-hmm. and, and many times you'll achieve a goal a dream a desire only to realize that what you thought you wanted was not what you really wanted it was what you thought you wanted based on who you thought you were and your goals were sometimes projections of unmet needs from childhood and it will never be fulfilling and so the question i invite people to sit with in surrender it's not a passive thing like just sit there and sleep on the couch and no ask yourself a different question it's a bigger question it's an infinite question that takes the limitations off the question becomes what is it that life is seeking to manifest through me what is it that life is seeking to express through me what is what is the highest impulse of what life is seeking to manifest through me to create through me to podcast through me to 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 write through me to business through me What is the deepest impulse of what life is seeking to express? And then open yourself to listen and and catching that vision. Then you can align your mind, your ego, your personality, your structure, your marketing, your resources, your actions in alignment with your soul. Now you are working in harmony with nature and you are truly in the flow. And that's where the magic happens. And that's why now you're creating in an unlimited way, because your creation is not coming from your ego mind. It's arising from a deeper dimension of your soul, which is not conditioned. And then you're taking action. But the key then is you're taking action. So I don't want people to think surrender is, is just passivity. You're taking action in alignment with your soul, but you're not attaching to the outcome. You're not att- attaching to the result. You're staying open and allowing life to show right. you, allowing life to guide you. And that's the key. We all want magic, but we don't want to surrender. But the code is, if you want more magic, more joy, more abundance in your life, surrender is the key. Oh, so perfect. So perfect. 
Yeah, several times throughout our conversation today, you know, I, uh, a former incarnation of my vocation was I was working exclusively with competitive athletes. And you said the word flow a few minutes ago, and I'll tell yes. you so many times through our conversation today, man, I have had flashbacks of peak performance. Flow, yep. The zone. The zone. That's what it is. Blissful. It's bliss consciousness, man. And it's effortless ease. It's 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 perfection with effortless ease. Right. And and there's and so it's like, you know, you interview athletes when they're killing it, or musicians or anyone performing. Right when they're in the zone, and they control is never a word that is used to describe. I was totally in control. No one has ever said that. Yeah, because it's, like, one... it's, not, it's like you're not even thinking that way. You're like, I don't know. I wasn't thinking. For, okay, I don't know what I was thinking. If I was, but, but that's the thing. Most of them, they weren't there. They dissolved. Yeah. They, yeah. they they were not it's like the guitar was playing itself through me. The guitar, I was being danced. I was being played through. And yeah. that's the magic. See, the ego wants to be the doer. Oh. Because the ego wants to be the doer because the ego wants to reinforce its existence. And one of the ways it reinforces its existence is by being in control. But that's how we get in the way. Oh, so but much. The, but the whole, you talk about uh, uh, performance athletics. Yeah. The magic happens when you freaking get out of the way yeah. and you're not in control. And let. And allow it to happen. Let. Allow it to happen. There's a, yeah. Dr. Debbie Cruz is the name of a woman that's a former guest on the Tough Talks here. And she is a uh, sports psychologist. And she's been on all kinds. She's just famous for sports psychology research and practice. She's been on 60 Minutes and she did work with Alan Alda and all this great stuff. And she talks about a research study where she got two pop, two groups, two subjects, groups, uh, both professional golfers. One was given the instruction to make as many putts as you can. The other was given the instruction, let as many putts, just let the putts go in. And those, that that group, mm -hmm. one with that extra, uh, instruction, were the ones that made most of the putts, letting, working with flow. This is beautiful, man. So I, I there's um, someone sent in a question request. Okay. So I'm not going to tell you who it is yet. <laughs> I think you know him. They wanted me to ask you about taking executives to India and taking away all of their ID and money and having them make their way around. <laughs> yeah, these, these are journeys I used to do. I don't do them anymore. But it's called the, the liberation experience. And in 2006, I got known because uh, after coaching for many years, I wanted to create something that had never been done before. And I got a, I got a download, an inspiration that I would uh, take visionaries. It wasn't just executives. with visionary leaders, people that wanted to impact the world. Mm. And I would take you to India. And this is part of why I went to India 40 times because on top of me going for myself, mm. uh, I did 21 of these one-on-one uh, -on -one experiences where I take you to India. I take away your passport, take away your money. You have one pair of clothes, a backpack, no idea where you're going. You sign your will in case you don't come back. You write letters to everyone in your life in case you die. Um, I hold these letters. You give me full permission to create a, uh, basically a 14-day nonstop transformational immersive process for you that is designed to help you free to help you free yourself from all of the deep layers of your conditioning. We're on planes, trains, automobiles, 
15, 16 cities in India in, you know, 14 days. It's a crazy process. It's, it's, it's profound. And I did 21 of these journeys in about seven years. And uh, they're life-changing, man. Life, life-changing. Oh, it's, 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 what in, it's what inspired my first book. Mm-hmm. And, and again, it's all about freedom. And now I, you know, I stopped doing the one-on-ones, but I do it in Bali and I do it in larger groups now. Of kind of the underlying essence has just been expanded into 100 people, 200 people, 300 people. But, yeah. you know, we think we're free. But the moment you take away someone's iPhone and someone's clothing and someone's makeup and someone's title, like what kind of freedom is that? And so for me, the intention of these journeys was to create experiences and situations that 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 show people where they're holding on Mm. and where they're limited. Just awesome. I'm glad. Well, that's from Becky Robbins. Uh, Give Becky a hug. I will. So that's that's fantastic, man. Woo! Wow, that was freaking amazing. Now, let's have people know, okay? Yes. About all the magic that you're up to, man. I want them to make sure, let's have everyone know everything you're up to. A couple of things, a couple of things. Number one, uh, I would invite everyone just to get the book, The Magic of Surrender. It's a very simple, it's, I've simplified things in there. It's all there. The gems are there on how to surrender and find the courage to let go so so that you can. Yeah. So that you can, this was not the book. This was not the book I thought I was going to write by the way. And that just goes to show that life life has other plans. And so get the book. It's available on paperback on, on Amazon. Uh, The second thing is I think if people feel, if you're someone and you feel a, a calling to make a difference on the planet that you've been put on the planet for a purpose bigger than yourself, uh, maybe you're tired of reading the books and you're ready to peel away the layers of conditioning, connect with your authentic self and give your gifts to the world. Twice a year for the last 10 years, since 2012, uh, 11, actually, I've done a very special event in Bali. It's called Boundless Bliss, the really? Bali Breakthrough Experience. It is transformational. It is life-changing. For me, there's no words to express and explain what this event is but it's 12 day experiential seminar training without walls where i use bali as the backdrop to facilitate an uncoaching unconditioning journey that is just systematic and step-by-step designed to help clear you of conditioning and connect you to your authentic self so it's 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 amazing uh the next one is july the 28th so this is going. So we're recording on uh, mid in mid April. This will go live in May, perfect twenty twenty three. So there's time. Yeah, people can go to www.boundlessblissbali.com. Uh, That's boundlessblissbali.com. This is my last year doing this particular event. I've done twenty of these events in ten years, and we've had everyone from billionaires, celebrities, entrepreneurs, people you would have heard about, mothers, daughters, students, insurance agents, salespeople. Anyone that is just, you're ready for that next level. And it's 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 a special, special, special journey. That's one. The other thing is my website, coopblackson.com. All the info's there as well yeah, about my, my, my other things, my online, my online offerings. Keynotes um, and coaching. Yeah, my speaking. Your own podcast. That stuff. My podcast is called Soul Talk. People yeah, can check that out. Amazing guests. People that. can check that out. And uh, Instagram, Coop Blackson, and Facebook, Coop Love Now. Awesome, man. Brother, thank you, thank you so much. I am so happy that, that we reconnected. 
I'm glad. I'm glad. 11 or 12 years later after the initial email exchange. Yeah, congratulations to you for all thank the you. beautiful impact that you're having on the planet. And thank you for that, man. And thank, thank you for this. Appreciate you. Appreciate you. You know, it's fun for me as a podcaster that I, during certain interviews, <laughs> and it's happening a lot these days, I'm very pleased about this, is that during the interviews, I have the thought, oh man, I can't wait to share this with everyone because it's like a cool gift. <laughs> you know, it's like I'm coming to the party with a cool gift and I know it and I know they're going to like the gift. So that was awesome. He is awesome. And it's so fascinating, right? Because we initially did attempt at least to connect. I think it was 2012. So that's 11 years ago now. And just, it's, it would be interesting to see what conversation happened then <laughs> compared to this one. What a fascinating cat, huh? I mean, so many, there's so many mic drops in that. You know, um, since you all you are already whole, perfect, and complete. I don't coach you. I uncoach, unteach, untrain, and uncondition you. <clears throat> all right. Here and here are the, here are some here are the three questions. Well, before I let's see, there's no break, breakthrough without truth. Surrender is the most powerful thing we can do. He said, in fact, that's all there is. And here are some questions for contemplation reflection where in all of my life am I lying to myself what am I pretending to not know and what is it that life is seeking to create through me it's good stuff folks <clears throat> well thanks for tuning in to tough talks and as always until next time Great miracles.